Yes, thank you very much, Amelia, for, uh, for inviting me along and to, to all for giving up your lunch time and coming to listen to me. Um, I, I hope this uh, is worth your while. Yes, what I want to essentially address in part or to a certain extent today is a question which seems to be gathering more urgency almost every day that passes, certainly within certain quarters, and that is the extent and nature of the threat that Boko Haram poses to the United States, if indeed it poses any such threat at all. Just to lay all my cards on the, the table, though these are much more important, um, as Amelia said, I, I work for King's College London. I'm based in the Defence Studies Department, uh, which is based permanently at the Joint Services Command and Staff College in Shrivenham, um, South Oxfordshire. So my students are serving military personnel um, and the old civil servant working for MOD, WFCO, and um, their counterparts from other armed forces as well. So um, I, I work with military practitioners on a, on a daily basis. Well, what I'd like to do today is essentially critically engage with a report that was written by the US House of Representatives and published about a year and a half ago called Boko Haram, uh, Emerging Threats to the US. Um, I'll just explain a little bit about why I want to do that. Now this, this report was produced by the subcommittee of a committee and itself does not define US policy. It doesn't set out a, a blueprint for exactly what the US is going to do. The reason though I'm, I'm going to focus on it is essentially as a, as a corrective to uh, an impression that has gathered pace certainly within some of the meetings that I've been with, with the UK military and, and, and other people as well, that this, this, this report essentially proves the, the degree of threat that the Bokan does pose a threat to the United States and the degree of threat that it poses, that the, the report has taken on a significance in and of itself rather than necessarily what it says. The fact that it exists, the fact that it was published by the US House of Representatives is taken as evidence of the, the degree of danger that the Bokan poses which is all fine and dandy. Um, but I think if, if that's the case, then, then certainly you need to interrogate um, what the report says in a, in a, little, bit of, a little bit of detail. Um, and I think now is a, is a good time to do so, given the passage of time, you can actually compare it to some extent against events. You know, has what it said come to pass? Were its uh, observations and, um, uh, uh, and predictions accurate? Before I do that, however, it seems appropriate, indeed it would seem inappropriate if I didn't, um, to comment on recent events in Nigeria. Given that you're here, I'm taking that you have a, at least a passing interest uh, in, in the country, if not a, a more scholarly one, um, so you will all be aware of, uh, of, of what's been, been going on, and in particular President Goodluck Jonathan's declaration of a state of emergency, or states of emergency, the correct correct uh, term is here, in three northern states, Adamawa, um, Borno and Gobi. Um, and those uh, states of emergency were, were declared in response to uh, an increase in the attacks carried out by, by Boko Haram. Now I think these, those attacks and the response of President Jonathan are significant for uh, four different reasons which are, which are worth recapping briefly here. The first is the simple fact, the scale of them. Um, one is immediately put in mind by the response of the federal government of, um, of, of well, I am anyway, of the Tet Offensive, 
which kind of drove a, a coaching horses through official declarations by the US military, by the US government, that it was beating uh, its North Vietnamese foes. Um, I think the scale of attacks carried out by, by Bokram um, makes something of an absurdity of the claims made by the federal government and by senior security providers that Bokram is busted flush, that they have well and truly got a handle on this group. Um, clearly, they haven't. That much is evidenced by the attacks, but also by the scale of response. I mean, this is an unprecedented uh, uh, level of reaction, declaring states of emergency um, in this way. I mean, it's, yes, the federal government has been obliged to escalate its own response to levels which haven't really been seen in Nigeria since um, the end of the Civil War uh, many years ago. Um, the second point that I think is, uh, is significant is President Jonathan's admission that parts of the country um, now, or at least did at the time that he declared the state of emergency, lie beyond his direct control. And that effectively is an admission that Nigeria is a failed state. Um, state failure can be defined, um, as Paul Williams reminds us, in, in two distinct ways. Failure to exercise a monopoly over legitimate means of coercion throughout the whole of the sovereign territory, and failure to promote the flourishing of all your citizens. If the federal government does not fully control all of its territory, then clearly um, it contravenes the first definition. And by extension, if it is unable to exercise control over parts of the country, then it cannot promote the flourishing of the people who live there, uh, notwithstanding all the other accusations that are, are levelled against the federal government and the state authorities as well. So that's the second point, I think, to note, that this is a, a remarkable omission by President Jonathan, that, that Nigeria is a failed state and it failed on his watch, effectively. The third point that I would, um, I would bring to your attention is that this omission has simply poured further fuel on the ongoing debate about President Jonathan's southern roots. His election to the presidency, his succession of uh, his predecessor, uh, Uradua, was greeted with dismay, if not outright rage, by many northerners who believed that it was their turn to, uh, to occupy the presidency. And the fact that he's been forced to act in this way is simply taken as further evidence of his, his unsuitability for the role. He's a southerner. He simply doesn't have the personal connections and formal networks that are needed to be able to exercise effective authority throughout the north. And in certain quarters, divine retribution as well. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is God saying, you know, you've, you've pulled a fast one on us. Um, and fourthly, uh, that the final point that I recommend to your attention about these, these recent developments is the significance of President Jonathan granting the military these extraordinary powers. Now, to be clear, authority in each of these three states the highest authority still rests with the civilian state governor. So the civil-military uh, balance that was established in 1999 holds true formally, but inevitably this, uh, this move speaks to the very long-standing concerns within Nigerian society about the role of the military. Um, since Nigeria became a republic on the 1st of October 1963, it's had 14 heads of state, eight of them have been army officers who collectively have ruled for about 30 years. Um, their civilian counterparts won't match their term in office until 2020, and that's if there aren't any more military coups uh, in the meantime. So 
Nigeria is well used to the armed forces intervening and taking over the political process and uh, inevitably this, this, this measure, as I say, speaks to, uh, speaks to these fears. So that's just my thoughts on, on what's been going on in Nigeria of late. But to get back to topic, what this all means um, for the United States in particular, I'm going to, as I say, I'm going to try and cast some light on this question by interrogating this U.S. House of Representatives report both around emerging threats to the U.S. Now, itself was it, it, the report was was written uh, in response to. Boko Haram's suicide bombing of the United Nations in-country headquarters in Abuja on the 27th, 27th of August 2011. And essentially it was, it was drafted in shock. Not so much, not, or, or not exclusively at the, um, at the attack itself, which was extremely <coughs> disturbing and regrettable given what happened and the loss of life that it entailed, but also at the seemingly terrifying possibilities it it seemed to be ushering in the potential uh, future that it seemed to to offer for, for, for Nigeria. So the report is is drafted at a time of concern uh, and in an effort to to um, address some of the some of the fears that the uh, that the, the House of Representatives have. Now I'm not going to go into too much detail um, about exactly what the report says. There isn't time to do this and. Frankly, it's a bit dull, um, and you can read it in far more detail than, than, than I can present it here. What I'm going to do, though, is concentrate uh, on three issues, um, what I identify as three notable weaknesses, um, and they are um, the report's heavy reliance on examples from other parts of the Islamic world, um, its unquestioning acceptance of the feasibility of Boko Haram's stated goals, and also the unhesitating and unswerving support that it gives to uh, the Nigerian government. And I'm going to go through each of those concerns now. Now, somewhat curiously, uh, given why the, report was why the report was written, the conditions in which it was written, the report spends little time actually interrogating Boko Haram's objectives, what it is the group wants to achieve. Um, now, ostensibly, it would seem that um, the, the primary purpose of the report is to, is to determine the extent to which the group threatens the United States homeland. And this would, 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 we would think would, would require a, a detailed examination of these, of these uh, uh, objectives. Yet rather than actually do this, the, the report simply um, arrives at its, its founding premise. It simply adopts a position. Yes, it doesn't develop its analysis and arrive at its conclusions as a consequence of that. And its founding basis is that Boko Haram does indeed threaten the US. Now, at one level, this is not an unreasonable position um, to take. There is a fair bit of evidence to recommend it, especially since, as the report makes clear fairly early on, um, the group directly threatened the United States. Um, shortly after its suicide bombing of the United Nations headquarters, it released a video uh, in which it presented the attack uh, as a warning to the US president and to other infidels. Given this, the United States government, intelligence agencies, uh, security services had little option but to, uh, to treat the group as a threat. And to help substantiate this assumption, the report highlights the speed with which Boko Haram has developed as a fighting force since the so-called Battle of Maiduguri uh, in 2009. The Battle of Maiduguri, I'm going to refer to it 
on and off throughout, uh, throughout our presentation, were the running street battles fought between Boko Haram militants and soldiers and police officers in the streets of Maiduguri and nearby towns and cities in late July, early August 2009. And it was, it was this event more than anything else that really uh, brought, the, brought the group to international attention. The report also um, concentrates on the efforts and intentions of what it calls like-minded groups operating in other parts of the Islamic world, and in particular, Pakistan and Yemen. Now, while this evidence undoubtedly helps justify the caution taken by the US and the position adopted by the report, um, it also remains circumstantial. Just because Boko Haram has greatly extended its armed campaign over the past three years, and it has it's extended its area of operations, it's extended the range of methods that it uses from uh, some hit and run raids against police officers to right up to suicide bombings, and it's extended its list of targets from police officers to community leaders to religious figures to international institutions, that does not automatically mean that it will continue on the same trajectory. And also, just because similar organizations in other parts of the Muslim world are plotting and striving to attack the United States, does not automatically mean that Boko Haram will do the same. The report then has made some, some very significant assumptions. Now to be clear, taking what Boko Haram says at face value is not the main problem. Rather, it's taking what Boko Haram says at face value without considering either what its motivations or who its intended audience might be, without trying to contextualise in some way what it says. For the group must surely be expected to exaggerate its abilities and objectives in order to uh, appeal to its members, supporters, and to essentially enhance um, its, its standing and capabilities in their eyes and those of the broader international community. And while its attack on the United Nations was deeply worrying and provides disturbing evidence um, of its growing capabilities, the distance from Abuja to Washington DC still remains great. Now this does not mean that Boko Haram should not be taken seriously, but neither should be presented as a more serious threat than it actually is. Um, accuracy of analysis is, is clearly crucial here. Now one of the main reasons Washington as well as London, Paris uh, and Brussels are so concerned about Nigeria is the potential that they, they believe exists within Nigeria for the group to grow in size and to further expand its, uh, its own campaign. At present, the faction is thought to have several hundred members and that's fairly vague because nobody really knows. It's also fairly vague because actually identifying who is and is not Boko Haram is also very difficult. Um, perhaps the best way of approaching it is to divide the group into three different um, subgroups, with the first consisting of hardcore militants who are essentially the core of the group um, and are totally committed to what they're doing, the second including those who are sufficiently angry to take up arms but who with the right incentives um, or if the federal government were to seriously alter its behaviour might um, might change their behaviour. And the third, perhaps the, the most casual, are, are those opportunity, opportunists who um, essentially use the name of Boko Haram to justify and excuse um, their action. Now the cause of the concern um, is the existence of political, economic and social conditions uh, in the north and indeed throughout much of Nigeria, which in other parts of 
North Africa and the Middle East have given rise to uh, and helped sustain significant Islamist terror and insurgent groups. This fear then is based as much on what has happened elsewhere as it is on what has happened in Nigeria today. That is, North American and European governments are worried about the poverty and hardship which are found in such abundance in the north and might lead a growing number of the region's inhabitants, um, they fear, to follow the same path as uh, many young Algerians in the 1990s who, who joined the Islamic, the armed Islamic group and uh, the GSPC. The report also makes another comparison between Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda in the um, in the Arabian Peninsula and also uh, the, the Pakistan Taliban to help explain how the group has developed and might continue um, to, to evolve. Um, more specifically, the report makes two important observations. The first is that terror groups based many thousands of miles away still have the desire and the ability to attack the United States directly um, from its stronghold in Yemen Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula has been able to strike the United States um, through its agent Nidal Malik Hassan, who was a serving officer in the US Army and went on a gun rampage in Fort Hood uh, Army Base down in Texas, um, killing 13 people and wounding a further 32. Secondly, the US must also remain ever vigilant. It must be always aware um, and, 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 and concerned about, uh, about what groups in these far-flung places are up to. Um, again, this much was, is, is taken to be evident from Al-Qaeda's uh, recruitment of Hassan. Um, that it had successfully done so and that he was able to remain anonymous uh, for so long before mounting his assault um, simply confirms um, in the report size the, the vulnerability that exists or which, which the United States um, which the United States had, as did um, Faisal uh, Shazad's attempt to detonate a car bomb in New York's Times Square on the 1st of May 2010. Um, he had been surreptitiously recruited by the Pakistan Taliban, um, able to secure the materials he needed to build the bomb, uh, the training he needed, um, and get so far as to drive the vehicle into Times Square itself, um, thereby again highlighting that you really can't take um, groups operating in remote corners of the world for granted. The other point to note here as well is that on the one hand, as tragic and as devastating as these attacks undoubtedly are for their victims and their families and friends and, and, and so on, um, they clearly don't pose a threat to the existence of the United States. But when we're talking about these issues, a single successful terrorist strike um, based on the events since 2000 can have huge strategic consequences. You think of the attacks against the Pentagon and against the World Trade Center, and again, not wishing to diminish the consequences, the actual immediate impact of that, but the United States invaded two countries on the back of that. Spain withdrew its forces um, partly because of the attack on the Madrid train station. So while, these, well, you know, while, while referring these, to these as attacks um, may seem as a bit uh, overblown and, 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 and um, you know, giving them far more significance than they actually have, um, you look at the potential consequences of the last decade or so, um, you know, you've, you've got to bear that in mind. Now, of course, there are significant benefits to, to making these comparisons and to looking at what has happened um, elsewhere. Um, such lessons provide tantalising pointers 
for those who are able to, to, to interpret them as to what, um, what threats might confront governments and security providers. It is both appropriate and to some extent reassuring, therefore, that the report devotes significant attention to what um, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula and the Pakistan Taliban um, are doing, uh, their development, the threats they pose, and the United States' response to them. Indeed, it would be remiss in some ways for the report not to carry out uh, this, this comparative analysis. Um, but these comparisons need to be carried out with extreme care for at least two good reasons. The first is the very real risk of imposing a direction and trajectory on an organisation or group that it simply doesn't have. That by searching for your car keys under, under a street lamp, effectively, by, by trying to uh, shoehorn Boko Haram into this uh, analytical framework, you are going to misinterpret what it is. You're trying to turn it into something that you can understand which it isn't. The second is every chance that those undertaking this examination in their eagerness to avoid mistakes, um, to, to stop these attacks from happening again in the future, will overstate the significance of the threat posed by this group, posed by Boko Haram. It is uh, almost inevitable that there will be a, a degree of, of worst-case scenarioing. Now, it's inevitable that the report's proposals on how the U.S. should deal with Boko Haram all advocate uh, working closely with the Nigerian government. Um, in fact, it would be extremely surprising, if not revolutionary, if the U.S. didn't propose collaborating closely with the federal government. For a start, it has long been Washington's goal to have a stable and successful uh, Nigeria since the return uh, of civilian rule in May 1999. And since then, uh, the US has been obliged, or successive administrations have been obliged, um, to make a series of difficult and far-reaching compromises to try and achieve this, such as accepting the outcome of the US presidential election in 2007, uh, and also turning something of a blind eye to the, to the violence after the 2011 presidential election. So there is a, a degree to which the, the US is, is, is very keen um, and, and has state political, long-term political capital in working with, with Nigeria. Um, yet even so, the extent to which the report and through it the US government is, is willing to work with, uh, with, with, with the federal government creates its own problems and its own difficulties because there is inevitably taint is perhaps too far to work too, too hard a word but but, by, but through association the United States becomes connected to certainly some of the more nefarious activities that the United that the, that the, that the Nigerian federal government is carrying out by simply supporting the Nigerian government by not taking a more critical stance on what it is doing it is um, turning Nelson's eye in the very least to some of the worst abuses and you know, not unreasonably, many people, including many Nigerians, think that they are condoning some of the abuses that are that are uh, being perpetrated. Um, that abuses are being perpetrated, I think, is, is absolutely beyond doubt. The scale of the response um, to the 2009 battle of Maiduguri, which culminated in the summary execution of, of Yusuf himself, and most recently, as I'm sure you've all seen, the Human Rights Watch report, uh, which pointed out to the, the massacre of 100 odd people uh, somewhere in the north. So the, the Nigerian government or the Nigerian armed forces are, are engaged in a, in a, in a, in a, in a pretty brutal uh, and uncompromising armed campaign. And 
the United States, by, by not being more critical, is becoming more associated with it. But this presents other problems as well, um, not least um, one of timing. Critical to achieving a long-term solution is, is clearly development. It's about creating political stability, about protecting um, political and civil rights, and also encouraging economic growth. But that all takes time. In the short term, how do you achieve the security that is required to enable all of this to take place? Well, that's something which the Nigerian armed forces are, are grappling with, not least because all the development aspects are in the hands of the federal government. And if the federal government had been doing those in the first instance, then OPAM might not have worked. So, so you know, the, the Nigerian government, is, sorry, the Nigerian armed forces are, are in this sort of catch-22 situation that they have to try and achieve security while relying on the federal government to do what it's, it's not done in the past or not done for, 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 for a significant while. The challenge for the United States is how to encourage uh, Nigeria to adopt best practice, to, to carry out this kind of development uh, and achieve this security, but without doing it in too um, heavy-handed a way. Um, and at that, I will, I will leave it because it's, it's been about half an hour. Thanks very much.